0: Thank you.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to the Pixel Meditations, episode number 11. This is Steve, and with me as always is my host Toby. Toby, how's it going?
2: Pretty great, man. I'm in the USA finally.
1: Yeah, it's going to be your one and only episode recording in the USA before you're on to Germany.
2: Yep, that's right.
1: And how are, how are things in the States?
2: Uh, things are pretty good. Uh, it's great to be back for a little bit. A uh, lot of micro-breeze to hit up and craft beer to drink, but... Yeah, it's like it's been awesome. I'm glad I'm just here for like a few weeks. I don't I don't have to live here. <laughs> There's a lot of problems in the states, but um, you know, it's 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 a good it's a good time for like a little bit.
1: Right. I yeah. I had a pretty similar experience trying a lot of new beers and seeing friends and family again. It was pretty awesome, but I did basically drink every day for 3 weeks and eat cheeseburgers, so, <laughs> so it wasn't the healthiest lifestyle. But cool, yeah. man. Um, This is going to be a little bit of a special episode because we have our second guest, uh, Jonathan McDougall. Jonathan lives in Taiwan. He's another teacher, but he's also a video game enthusiast, a video game fanatic, if you will. And he's been around a little longer than Toby and I have, so he's going to be great for the coverage of tonight, which we're going to be talking about the arcades. And we're going to kind of uh, condense this episode into the 20th century, so this is going to be arcades part one. So, Jonathan, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. Glad to be here.
1: Yeah, it's really, I'm really happy to have you on the show because, uh, Toby, you actually threw me the idea for this episode, and when you first suggested it, I thought, wow, this is going to be a really great episode to talk about, but I'm not sure that you and I can handle some of the older arcade stuff, you know, it's maybe some of like the 80s and even the early 90s, since you and I are both about 30 years old
2: yeah 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 so like we have a lot of uh experiences from our childhood, but it's like I think it's like mostly from you know like the the end of the heyday of uh arcades, but I don't know, I guess we're gonna get into that a little bit,
1: yeah, I guess before we start, and Jonathan, I'm gonna have you just sit for a second here, Toby, can you just tell me a little bit as a as a child yourself, how much did you experience the arcades?
2: um, so I really didn't experience it like in a classic sense like I never went to like a like an actual like official arcade but there were like a few like places that I went to as a child regularly with my family and you know they'd have like uh you know like a few um arcade games there to play and I have memories of playing you know different different kinds of games um like I have a really strong memory of just like Playing countless hours and like just dropping in countless coins into Area 51. That's like a huge game from my childhood. But, you know, just like a few games like that, um, nothing like too big. So like most of my younger gaming experience was definitely in the console world. But, I mean, I definitely recall arcade games and they're always amazing. Um, You know, like, like playing these huge cabinets and like just like being in awe at them and... You know, just because, like, a lot of times the capacity for these systems is a lot greater than, um, like, the consoles you have at home. So it's just like, dang, yeah, these are so awesome. Uh, like, I love these. I love this. Like, this is the like this is what video games are capable of. Like, that's kind of, like, how I thought of it as a child, I think.
1: Okay. It sounds a little bit different to me. Um, I really wasn't in the video game know-how at all until I was, what, eight years old. So I had only experienced the arcades. And kind of places I went that had a few machines. Like I remember going to the roller rink. That was a pretty common trip for most people in my hometown, which is very small. And so there's a few arcade machines in there. But I really got my start on consoles. And even the arcade games I was playing on consoles like the NES and Super Nintendo that were arcade games. I was completely oblivious that they were arcade games before they were console games. So getting back to Jonathan, you had probably a little bit of a different experience growing up.
0: Uh yes, uh just for the audience I'm 44 years old, born in 1974. So uh yeah, I think for me the earliest f- the earliest that I can think of, I think for me Space Invaders was the first arcade game that I played. Um you know, I played Space Invaders and Asteroids. Um And the first game I really enjoyed, like, I, I, don't get me wrong, I enjoyed Space Invaders, but the first game that I really liked was Missile Command. Uh, I think it's because it had a trackball controller and um, I liked the way that the bases were set up and you would uh, try to defend your bases and whatnot. Uh, That I played at a drive-in movie theater uh, when I was, I don't know, maybe five years old, I guess. And, um... That that was one of my, I think that's my post most positive, really early um, uh, memory before the, what I would call the next wave of games came with like Pac-Man and stuff like that. So the, in the pre-Pac-Man days, yeah, Missile Command was my favorite.
1: All right, really cool. Maybe we should do a whole a whole separate episode on what a drive-through is for the younger listeners. Or do those still exist? <laughs> drive-in, drive-in, drive-in. <laughs> drive in, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're they're still drive-throughs, but yeah. So that's interesting. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned the control scheme because when I was looking back and doing some research on video games from the seventies, it seemed like that was a huge component of the original uh, arcade games in that first decade or two of arcade games. Is that they had such a, an array of like different control schemes and buttons and gadgets that were attached to these machines. And that's oh pretty, yeah, absolutely it was pretty fascinating. Yeah,
0: I mean. Like, um, it took a while to sort of standardize on the joystick. Um, I mean, the, one of my earliest memories was a racing game. And uh, I don't, I've tried to find out the name of this game, and I still it eludes me to this day. It, it's, it was a, a top-down perspective, and it was just a single track. There was only one track in the entire game. It was a monochrome screen. And you had a steering wheel and you had a little gas pedal at the bottom and you had two little uh, red buttons for one player or two players. Um, but it was just one one player at a time. You had to alternate. But uh, yeah, and Pong, you know, used the little paddle, like the analog paddle that rolled back and forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, some games, like Space Invaders, just had two buttons to move back and forth and then one button to fire. So, you know, the joystick wasn't... Um, really think, And then even when Pac-Man came out, yeah, it had a joystick, but there's no actual button to shoot or anything. Like you just, you had a joystick, that was it. And it went in four directions and that's all you needed to play the entire game. So
1: so that's pretty fascinating to me. So the, what Space Invaders, it only had two buttons and one you had to use one of those buttons to actually move. So was there a sensitivity towards the left and right side of the button?
0: No, 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 sorry. there There are three buttons, two to move and one to shoot.
1: Okay, wow, that's that, yeah. I think I vaguely remember seeing some games with control schemes like that as a kid in the arcades. But yeah, that's pretty old school.
0: And and also, most of the games when I was really young had monochrome graphics, like either vector-based, like asteroids, or even like Space Invaders. They had like an overlay. If I remember right, again, this is all from memory when I was very young, but the monitor was actually on the, you, what you were actually looking at was a mirror image of the monitor, which kind of just shone into the mirror. And there was like an overlay of different colors. So it kind of looked like it was in color, but it was just an overlay of, of a rainbow of colors when actually the, the graphics themselves were in monochrome. Nice. Did you,
2: did, you, did you have a console in the 80s?
0: Uh, my first console I didn't get until 1988, Christmas 1988. So, until that time, um, my most of what I played was either on a computer or on an arcade machine. I begged my parents for an Atari 2600 when I was a kid, um, but but and this was common thinking at the time. You know, my parents thought, why would we waste our money giving you a, a game console when we could give you a computer and then you can learn about the future? So in nineteen eighty one I had my I had a computer, um, which of course I played games on it. It was some crappy it was a <laughs> Radio Shack T R S eighty color computer. It was a piece of garbage. Uh-huh. But um, then, in nineteen eighty four I got a commodore sixty four computer, which, for the time, was actually a pretty awesome uh gaming computer and um yeah, I played that thing to death. I had a million pirated games for it, and um you know, <laughs> i uh i i you know at the schoolyard we would trade discs and everything go ahead
2: oh no like I'm just like, what's the yeah, like what's the process of pirating a Commodore 64 game in the 80s? I really want to know that.
0: Oh well, you you would have um, you would have a, um, a a an app like a a program that was specifically designed to copy games because a lot of them had copy protection on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite one was called uh, Disc Busters, I think was what it was called, and so. <laughs> Now, most of us only had one floppy drive, right? So what you would have to do is you would have to uh, load disk busters, then remove the disk, put in the source disk, and read as much into RAM as you could, then put in the destination disk, write write the the buffer, then put the source disk back in it. You'd have to swap several times to get a whole disk. So a whole disk could take maybe like... 30 minutes to copy um keeping in mind that a a disc has a whopping 185k if i remember (laughs) right or or 180k on one side of a disc so yeah 30 minutes for one side of one floppy disc and that would be like an event like you'd bring all your discs over to your friend's house (laughs) and you would uh copy all your friends discs and then you would copy all of your discs for your friend and you would bring blank discs and it was kind of like a little disc swapping party you know you'd have uh and yeah then you'd double the size of your game collection it
1: was uh it was fantastic
2: yeah that sounds really interesting um so it's a
1: completely different time i think oh yeah i mean you always hear people from the from the 80s and i guess even 90s when i was starting games and I, i i feel like this from my childhood too I don't want to go too far off track, but I think that we appreciated having one game a lot more than we do now. If you had one game, even if it was a mediocre game, you played the crap out of that game.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. And and also you had your – and and then you see this on consoles too. Like you had your go-to game. Like there's one or two games you would ever really got tired of. So you'd play the new game until it got boring, and then you'd go back to your trusty um, – my my game on this Commodore 64 was a game called Jumpman and uh it was kind of like a Donkey Kong inspired uh single screen platformer and that's I would always go back to that game every time I got bored of whatever new game I had um but yeah w- uh not to get too far off topic but one day I'll tell you guys about uh, gaming off of cassette tapes because my first computer, <laughs> I didn't even I didn't even have a disc drive for it. I had to do load all my games off of audio cassette tape, so that was fun.
2: Wow,
1: I can imagine a lot of our younger listeners just going to Wikipedia right now, and having to search in all these ancient technologies, <laughs> yeah. floppy disk, cassette yeah. tape. Yeah,
2: yeah. So, like, one of my biggest questions about you know gaming in the early days, like for consoles versus arcades is how did the two compare like like what were your thoughts about like arcades versus like what you could do in like with a console like like an atari or like a commodore 64 like are they just vastly different or like similar like that's that's kind of like where, a big question i have
0: well there first of all um <clears throat> keep in mind that in that in those days the the arcade machines really defined what a video game was. So, no, the answer, the short answer is no. Home consoles and and computers could not compete with arcades in terms of quality and in terms of just how good the games were. They. The you know if you bought Double Dragon for your Commodore sixty four it did not compare to Double Dragon the arcade version not even close yeah 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 Um, and uh, the but you know so I think that's why um, the arcades thrived because they could give you an experience that you just couldn't match on a on a home computer the best. Home computer games, I think, uh, in those days were ones that took better advantage of the computer. I mean, on a computer, you've got a keyboard, you've got uh, more options, you can do more things, Uh, you can play RPGs like Ultima, Uh, you can play adventure games like King's Quest or Leisure Suit Larry or some of those games. So those games uh, were able to thrive, but uh, I think... A lot of us played arcade games at home just because we're too poor to go to the arcades all the time. <laughs> yeah, And, you know, our our parents wouldn't always give us money to, to yeah. go, so we had to find other
1: ways to play,
0: right?
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I feel like... Wait, what were you going to say?
1: Well, I, did, I was just going to say, I think, Toby, you'll probably relate to this. As a kid in the 90s, I kind of grew up with that kind of thinking. Is My kind of thinking was, why would I go to the arcades and spend my money to play a game when I can go buy one and actually own the game forever. Yeah. I think maybe when you get to when the consoles start, when you get to the later consoles, like the Sega Dreamcast and stuff, when the home consoles start, when they actually start matching the arcades, that kind of, that logic sort of overtakes arcades and it does sway the pendulum sort of towards um, home consoles.
2: Yeah. Like, like that's like the, like a big question I have is like, at what point did home consoles and, like, home computers basically overtake or become equivalent to arcades? Was it, like, in the early 90s, or was it before that? Or, like, that's a an that's a interesting question I have. Uh,
0: my feeling on that is that, um, well, there's a couple of things. First of all, remember that in the early days, video games were not so much marketed towards kids. I mean, when I went to the arcade as a, as a, as a kid, most of the people in there were adults. Um, they had pool tables all down the middle of the room. And then they had arcade machines all around the perimeter of the room. And arcades were not seen as these, you know, it wasn't until the, the later years when you started to see like Chuck E. Cheese, like this is like getting around the mid eighties. You started to see like arcades targeted towards younger, uh, gamers. But, uh, in the early days they weren't so much targeted at kids uh, i think that um, when when kids got involved then kids don't have the kind of money that you know grown ups do to plop quarters into these machines so that's that's part of it and i think you also see that it's not like one day arcades just died you know somebody snapped their fingers and all arcade machines collapsed down it was a general erosion you know uh, the NES, you know, and uh, the console resurgence helped helped arcades decline somewhat. And then you saw in the 90s, especially with like 16-bit systems, you know, for the average Joe, who doesn't really care about high-end, you know, joysticks or care doesn't care so much about professional-grade monitors you know, you could take a game like Street Fighter 2 and it looks good enough on the Super Nintendo that, you know, you're not missing a whole lot by not playing the arcade version. Um, And so I think that in the 90s, as graphics got better and home console games got better and you got games like, you know, Streets of Rage or um, uh, Final Fight on, on Super Nintendo or some of these games, they they look almost as good as arcade games. Uh, And so there wasn't that necessity. And then when the PlayStation came out and you started to see an emphasis more towards cinematic games and games that aren't completed in 10 minutes, they're completed in in hours, not minutes, like Metal Gear Solid or, or Final Fantasy VII or some of these games, Tomb Raider. These games offered stuff that arcades just couldn't, couldn't offer, so you really saw the the arcade market, you know, decline further and further, and become more of a a niche thing as opposed yeah. to a mass market uh, type of product.
2: Yeah, for sure. And do you think that was that was in like the like early '90s, or I don't know, like like, like time frame? I uh,
0: I think that I I would say that by the late '90s. Um, the general arcade scene was very niche. Oh, I mean, okay. there were arcades, there, but it, was, it became much more of a niche product. You had things like, uh, like, you know, I'm from uh, Toronto, so in Mississauga we had like Palladium Sega City, which was like this huge arcade. But, you know, the local mom-and-pop arcade uh, machines... Keep in mind, like in the 80s, it wasn't even just in arcades. I mean, you had arcade machines in convenience stores. You had them at, I'd go to the local laundromat. They had a the couple of machines set up there. They had them, you know, you'd, as I say, at the drive-in, you know, anywhere um, they could put them. They would crop, you'd see machines prop up because they generated money. People would pay money to, uh, you know, play a few rounds of uh ghosts of goblins while they were waiting for their clothes to dry, <laughs> right? You know, so, uh, you know, but now they don't, they don't make the kind of money that they used to. So they had to focus on sp- uh, more of a specialty market, people who want that, that extra leap up in quality that the... And you see that now today. I mean, here in Taipei, we have like, I know of maybe one or two like arcade places that offer like a real arcade experience. And yeah, people do go there, but it's not the mass market product that you see now. And I would say that in the early 90s, it was already on the wane, but then with the Street Fighter 2 and the, the fighting game craze kind of boosted things a little bit, and uh, you started to see people come back. But um, because you can get more opponents, like in the um, something that an arcade can offer that you can't... Couldn't get at home at the time is an as a steady stream of opponents to play against, right? Um, but then with Xbox Live and stuff like that, now you don't even need to leave the house, you could just play against people online and, and do it that way.
1: But Jonathan, I have a good question for you when it comes to this because, um, I think the arcades uh, you know, a lot of people like the uh, atmosphere of the arcade, you know, the dark, the dark room, the, li- the lit up screens, the sound. So the atmosphere is a huge thing, but you talk about Street Fighter 2. And when I was, like, kind of researching Street Fighter 2 when it came out, it seemed like that game, like Mortal Kombat 2, Street Fighter 2, were a little bit alienating to fans because they were kind of hardcore games. It took a long time to master, and people that weren't good at them weren't really going to be walking into the arcade and challenging, you know, the masters They get laughed out of the arcade, I guess, so to speak. So I'm wondering, growing up, you know, is this was there an attitude and an atmosphere of inclusivity or exclusivity in the arcades?
0: Um... Maybe because I grew up in a smaller city, like my city was only like about 85,000 people. So I didn't really see it that way. Um, I actually think that fighting games brought more people out um, in the early 90s, at least. Uh, I think fighting games brought more people to come to, to play because, and and this bears out. I mean, if you look at a lot of the games that came out in that time, like, for example, the the Neo Geo arcade machines were when they came out. A lot of the games were fighting games because that's what made money, right? Um, you think about all the arcade games. Oh my goodness! You know the million incarnations of Street Fighter. You know you got the Darkstalkers. You got Rival Schools. You got uh, Marvel versus Capcom, or you know like the the King of Fighters series. You got Samurai Showdown. You know. Um, I do think that maybe um, you know maybe people got burned out on fighting games eventually you know like there's only so many fighting games you can play before people get tired of it, but I didn't see it as the as a reason for the decline if anything I saw initially at least um, I certainly played a lot more once I discovered Street Fighter, oh my goodness a couple friends and I we would go to um, play Street Fighter 2. Every chance we got, we would just take all the cash we had, convert it into quarters, line them up on the bottom of the screen. You know, we had all the quarters stacked up, and it was just king of the hill. You know, Uh, the three of us would play. Whoever lost (sighs) would take a take a time out and uh, come back to try and fight again. And um, you know, but of course, once my friend got Street Fighter II for the Super Nintendo. We stopped going because we could... Why would we go to the arcade? We can just play it at my friend's house, right? Right. Maybe it right. wasn't quite as good, but it was good enough, you know, so that's when we stopped.
1: I guess my question more, um, what would be more, what would happen to casual gamers? Because kind of like you said, when the arcades start in the 70s and early 80s, they're not catered towards just children, but there's... When I was listening to the, uh, at the Atari, one of the uh, guys that started the company, he was talking about Street Fighter 2 specifically... And he said that games like this, and games like Defender before, because Defender had seven different buttons you had to learn how to master. But like he said games like Street Fighter 2 alienated the casual gamers from the arcades, and that hurt the industry a little bit.
0: Well, I can kind of see the idea that you need... How can I say it? You need entry-level games for... at At any time in history and with any demographic, nobody... Nobody plays a game with seven buttons for their first ever video game, right? right like, right. as I say, Pac-Man had a joystick with no buttons, right? Um, people, most people, if it's their very first, they're just getting into the genre. They need a simple game that gets them started, and then gradually they they move up from there. Uh, you know, I cut my teeth. As a kid, I really got interested in video games once you started to see arcade games with color graphics and actual game characters. Uh, for me, Pac-Man, Donkey Kong, and Frogger were like the holy trinity of the video game uh, world when I was a kid. Um, you know, and they—they're simple games. It's easy to understand the objective. It's easy to understand um how to play it and yeah you need that for new gamers to come in you know to the business and you need that for you know that's that's not exclusive to arcades that's exclusive you know home consoles need simple games that's why I think the Wii became so as successful and the DS became as successful as they were because they catered to people who had not played video games before so I I can understand his point, you know, if every game, you go into the arcades and every single game is a fighting game or 90% of them, where are the games that the new generation can play that are simple and easy to understand that, you know, uh, they can cut their teeth on before they graduate up to something like, like Street Fighter Alpha 3 or something like that.
1: Right. I guess I see part of the issue is, you know, with arcades, you know, they're going to have people going in there that might not want to be anything except for casual gamers. Maybe they just have a 30 minute lunch break or maybe they're just they just want to go play that one game that they really like for 20 minutes. Whereas if you invest in a home console, especially, you know, back in the 80s, 90s, I think you are a little bit more into gaming than some of the people who went to arcades. There were, of course, extreme gamers in the arcades. But I think that if you were to buy a console, that kind of puts you already at a level of gaming that some people that enjoy the arcades were never going to get to or never intended to get to.
0: Yeah. And, um, you know, going back to the previous point, you would get people who would practice at home. You know, they could practice Street Fighter at home and really get a feel for the game and stuff. And then they would go to the arcades and they would be a lot better for the practice that they got at home. Right. Um, Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, I, I guess you could say that the, the the arcade machines evolved um and not everybody needs to have such an uh an evolved experience. It'd be like suddenly the only TVs you can buy are like high end uh you know, 3D, four K TVs. <laughs> And they stopped selling all the earlier models. Not everybody who buys their first TV needs a top of the line, you know, 70 inch curved TV, right? Some right. people just want a basic TV that they can watch their Netflix on. Right. Uh, it's the same thing with video games. I got a
2: I have an interesting question. So in the 80s, how much were you paying for uh, arcade games?
0: Uh, most arcade games were twenty five cents. Uh huh. Um, unless it was a really hot special game, even even in the nineties, like when I played Street Fighter, it was fifty cents to start and twenty five cents to continue. Uh huh. Um, but when I in the eighties, um, every game in the arcade was. 25 cents, except we had OutRun. OutRun was, you know, a special game. First of all, it was an amazing game. Second of all, it (laughs) had an actual car that you sat in, um, you know, and you could actually feel the car moving as you drove on the track. Um, And, you know, it was it was the closest thing to a 3D game at the time because they used a, a technique called sprite scaling where the sprites, you know, you're you're, you're driving, the, the camera is behind the car and things get closer to you as you're driving towards them. And so they can scale the sprites up. So even at a, a close distance, they still look good. And it had a very 3D effect. So that combined with, the car and everything else, they could charge fifty cents per play yeah. for wow. Outrun. And then when at when Afterburner came out, which had an even more elaborate cabinet, like with an actual jet that you sit in and you know, <laughs> and lights are shining in your face and, and there's speakers right behind you, and oh my god, it was really exciting. They charged a dollar per oh play my at four times as much as That's any incredible. other game in the arcade. Yeah. And 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 there are people you had to line up to play the game, like it was not, you know, you had to wait like maybe you know five ten minutes just to be able to have the opportunity to play four time, pay four times as much as any other arcade yeah. game.
2: Yeah. So I just did the the inflation calculation. So fifty cents in 1980 is a $1. dollar fifty in 2017.
0: <laughs> okay. well, Yeah. That's insane. Just. I think Outrun came out in like 87. 87? So it, oh, okay. it wasn't quite that wasn't quite that bad, okay. but yeah, still. It gives you an idea that, you know, games made money.
1: Yeah. So Jonathan, how, how much money did you sink into the arcades total? Give us give us an estimate. <laughs> I
0: really I really have no idea. It's it's um, I mean as a kid, um, you know, any any time i could i would put um money into an arcade machine um you know there was um there was an arcade when i was really young um like i'm talking like maybe 1981 82 there was a, an arcade right down the street that closed down but we still had arcade machines uh in as I say, the laundromat near me and the convenience stores near me had arcade machines, so I'd play those ones. And there was an arcade at the shopping mall, um, which wasn't quite walking distance from my house, but I I did go there sometimes. That's where I saw uh, Dragon's Lair for the first time. That was the first time I ever saw oh a video game based on Laserdisc. It just blew my mind, like... Even though the game is not very good to actually play, just seeing those kind of cartoon graphics on a a video oh. game was, was fantastic. And I saw Gauntlet. Um, that was the first time I saw four players playing cooperatively. Um, that was um, uh, a, a sight to behold. Um, and then I think starting around maybe 1985, I'm trying to remember, 85, Five, probably, um, I discovered um, in the neighboring city, there was a, a Chuck E. Cheese and Chuck E. Cheese at the time had like, it was basically a glorified video arcade. Like they had pizza and they had like some of those skee-ball games and they had like a little ball pool and stuff. And they had those creepy animatronic uh, <laughs> puppets, you know, that sing the songs for you and stuff. But most of it was just arcade games. And so I would get money from my friends. You know, I would get every... All my friends would give me like 10 bucks as a birthday present. And I would have, you know, eight or nine friends. And then I would take all that money down to Chuck E. Cheese and I'd blow it all in one day. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, my goodness. You know, that, that was... Yeah, that was... um uh, that was Those were the best birthday parties. You know, my birthday is March 15th and it, it always landed right in the middle of March break. So we always had the day off school. So, you know, I would always go down and spend the whole day at Chuck E. Cheese. And uh, yeah, that was fantastic. And just, uh, I would play everything. I'd play, oh my goodness. Except I couldn't play Outrun. I I did play Outrun at the arcade in my home city, but at the Chuck E Cheese the the line was always too long, you know. There'd be like a couple of guys there, usually in like their 20s, and they would just play Outrun, you know, for like hours at a time, you know, just pumping in those those tokens, so.
1: Yeah, there's no time limit or anything is there. You can play as long as you want, as long as you put it in. Exactly.
0: Money. As long as Yeah, as long as you keep putting in. Uh Actually, this is that's something that kind of changed with um the fighting games like before you know you could as long as you kept putting money in you know i guess technically you could keep putting money in, but like you could be doing awesome in street fighter against the cpu and then someone could just toss in a a a quarter um in the the position next to you and if they won then your game was over unless you wanted (laughs) to stick in another quarter right you know so uh yeah that's that kind of changed things up a little bit but uh, if you were good, yeah, you could play for a long time. I, I, that's another thing is, um, that was another cool thing about arcades. You know, this was before the days of Twitch. So you would go to the arcades and you would watch other people play games, you know, as much as you would play them yourself. I remember um, watching other people get really far in games that, as a youngster, I just didn't have the, the motor skills or or the the practice to, to be able to do it. And uh, that was always, you know, in some ways that was almost as entertaining as playing the game itself sometimes.
1: Yeah, I uh, I mean, that definitely survived into our generation too. And I've always enjoyed watching people that are to some extent really bad at games as long as they kind of <laughs> get the control scheme. And yeah, I mean, there's a there's a fascination. Like I remember the first time, the first time I was ever introduced to video games was actually a spectator experience, watching my cousins uh, jump over the crevices and go through the barrels in Donkey Kong Country. That I picked up the controller and probably fell into the first pit I saw. So I think that the you know, I mean, even like Toby, you and I are like we we were playing games well before Twitch started. So I think we can uh, relate to the spectator experience a little bit. Kind of cool uh, if we listed because you know I think it'd be kind of cool if we listed some of our favorite games on arcade that were kind of either on console or in the arcade since maybe we didn't experience some of the same games. So Toby, like as a kid or even now, like in your life, what are some of those old arcade games that you really love?
2: Okay, so I mentioned Area Fifty One. That was definitely a huge game from my childhood. Um, like, I don't know, that game is just awesome. Like, shooting aliens, how is that not great? And just, like, the, the whole shooter experience of the arcade, I think that's really unique. Like, we had, like, Duck Hunt as a kid, but, like, there's nothing, it, is, it just doesn't compare to, like, an arcade shooter, like a classic arcade shooter. Um, so, Area 51, but I also got into, like, uh, Cruisin' USA, <laughs> so that so, so that was one that was on like it came out for the n64 and there was like an arcade version and that was a game where the arcade version was definitely like a much better experience because you're like you're driving it and you have a wheel and you have the pedals and like you got everything and yeah that was just like a really really awesome experience I really love like the arcade driving games like there's some bad ones, but overall, like, they're pretty fun, and, and honestly, like, a driving arcade game, like, that's just, like, I don't know, it's just so cool, especially when you're a kid and you can't drive, like, I don't know, that was awesome, um, <laughs> so I played that, and I played, like, Pac-Man, like, I, like, I definitely, like, got my Pac-Man in, um, even though it was, like, an older game in the 90s, like, I still love that game, like, it's just wonderful, um, and I played a lot of, like, like kind of weird, like, top-down kind of, like, racing games. I don't even know what their names are, but I just remember, like... Think, like,
1: Spy Hunter or something?
2: I don't know. Like, we like I was on, like, a trip with my family, and they're all out, like, doing, like, stuff, like, in the campground and, like, hanging out and stuff. And I'm just being, like, a nerd in the arcade, just, like, popping coins in there. And it's just, <laughs> it's just like, this top-down, like, racing game, and I'm just, like, going around the track and, like trying to get I mean by modern standards it's a terrible game and like it, I mean but at the time I was just like so fascinated and like you know like they give you like the high score thing and like I would want to get like number one so I would just like plop in coins until I got number one like I try really hard you know put in my like three initials because that like really matters <laughs> but, everyone's gonna know you man
1: everyone's gonna know but you know I'm really glad <laughs> yeah I'm really glad you mentioned Area 51 because as a kid, that's a, I completely forgot about that game. But I remember as a kid, I loved Area 51 and Virtual Cop and yeah. those laser gun games. Yeah. I, I adored them. I have so much fun with Duck Hunt on the NES. Mm-hmm. And I do remember every time I went to the arcade, I always went to the gun games. And I remember playing a ton of Virtual Cop. Uh, I, I believe I played it a little bit in the arcades and I definitely played it on the Sega Saturn. With a friend. and I remember playing a lot of Area Fifty One in the arcades, and those games are so much fun with a friend because oh, yeah. you didn't want to die first, and it, it was really fun being cooperative with your friend in a game. And I think that was a really unique, that was really unique, uh, a unique experience in the arcades because you didn't just have a standard controller; you had a light gun in your hand. And I know Jonathan, you're a big fan of light gun games too. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I mean, I think um, like for me, yeah, Area Fifty One and Virtual Cop were awesome.
2: Yeah, but what about you? What 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 are your like top games from your childhood that you played?
1: Well, for the arcade, I guess I would, I mean I'm gonna echo Area 51 and I'm gonna add Virtual Cop is another like gun game I played a ton of. My aunt tried to get me to play Pac Man and I just you know, I like Pac Man, but I never really got into it. Same with Dig Dug, another game. Uh I had relatives my aunt and uncle played the arcades quite a bit. But I found my tastes were pretty different. I just wanted to play Mario 3 and Contra all day. And they were like, nah, let's try Dig Dug and Pac-Man. And I was like, no, no, no. I want to play Contra. I want to play Mario 3. So, you know, I was not super arcade as a kid, except for Double Dragon 2. I had Double Dragon 2 The Revenge on the NES, and I loved that game. I had the original. I had all three Double Dragons. But Double Dragon 2 The Revenge, which I hear is different than the arcade version. Jonathan, maybe you can confirm that?
0: Yeah, I... Well, I, I never played Double Dragon 2, but the original Double Dragon, yeah, the, the NES version pales in... I, I mean, I, I appreciate that you like the game and all, but it, it pales in comparison to the arcade version. Um, yeah. It, it's not even two-player, the the NES version, uh, which um, that was, to me, that was the, the key selling point of Double Dragon, because uh, I played the arcade version quite a bit, and uh, yeah, when... When I found out the NES version was only one player, I was like, oh, okay, well, uh, all righty then. Uh, go ahead.
1: Have fun uh, with that. That's interesting. I guess for me, I got the NES dropped to my lap by my uncle, and I was about six years old, and I really had no idea anything about video games. This is my first exposure. So I was just – he gave me his whole collection, and I remember just like putting in every cartridge one by one and just seeing what these games were. And I remember the two that really drew me in were Mario 3 and um, – Double Dragon 2 The Revenge. And so Double Dragon 2 The Revenge, I believe, is an actual arcade game before it was ported to the NES. But I've never had that experience. But that is definitely one of my favorite arcade games of all time because of that childhood experience. But I think, Jonathan, you mentioned Sega a lot. And I think Sega was a little bit better with the arcade stuff than Nintendo was. Um, Well, it, I think that
0: at, in, in in the late 80s especially, I think that Sega was more focused on the arcade market. Um, you know, the um, the the Master System ports of their arcade games were... I mean, they were okay for 8-bit games, but they weren't anything f- special. But in the arcades, I mean, like, you know, with Space Harrier, uh, Alien Syndrome, uh, there were a lot of um, really kick-ass arcade games made by Sega in the late 80s. And then in the early, I guess in 89, when the Genesis was released, um, a lot of their arcade hardware was put into the Genesis. Um, So you got some amazing ports like uh, Ghouls and Ghosts. Even now, if you go back and play Ghouls and Ghosts, the Genesis version, and then you go use fire up an emulator and play like the... The arcade version, you can't arguably say one is better than the other. They both uh, are on par from a quality standpoint. There's slight differences, but they're not. One is not better than the other, and that was, um, you know, that was quite revolutionary at the time. Uh, same thing with Strider, uh, another fantastic port. Um, I don't know if there was an. I assume there was an arcade version of Thunder Force Two, but you know, Thunder Force Two again had like arcade quality graphics on your TV. Like it was quite phenomenal at the time. Um, of course, you know, going forward, arcade machines got better, right? It's a moving target. But, um, Mm -hmm. in those early Genesis days, uh, I'd hear people raving about the NES and how awesome it is. And I'd be like, dude, you have no clue what you're talking about, man. Like, you know, I've seen the future and it's 16 bit, you know, and, (laughs) uh, you know, but uh, eventually, yeah, we got the Super Nintendo and this Genesis. You know, post Sonic became uh, really popular. So eventually the world became enlightened. But for those first couple years, like I got the Genesis pretty much at launch. And uh, for those first couple years, I felt like, you know, uh i felt a bit elitist almost in a sense because you know everybody's talking about how great the the nes is and even like 91 you know 92 people are still raving about the nes and i'm like man that's that's yesterday man you you got to move on man <laughs> right and
1: it is i mean it's pretty interesting that the nes was still making games into the super nintendo's life and it, it lasted a bit longer than maybe it should have or it seemed like it should have
0: oh yeah it was it was really popular.
1: I mean, I wanna I wanna ask about this game because I love this game, and I'm not sure. I've always heard the arcade versions better, but Bubble Bobble is one of my favorite NES games, and I've always heard that the NES version just pales compared to the arcade version. Um, I, I, I think I don't know. I I think that
0: um, I I don't think the NES version is that bad. I played that game on the Commodore sixty four before I ever even knew there was an arcade version because um, it just didn't come to my area but um, I, I, I I think that uh, I mean yes the arcade version has better graphics much better music you know the um, the plinky sounds of the NES 8-bit chip just can't compare right. to the, the the full robustness of the uh, arcade version but but uh, I, I think the NES, I, I can think of far worse arcade ports on the NES than, than Bubble Bubble.
1: Okay, so you didn't destroy part of my childhood there or anything. <laughs> <laughs> but let, let's get into the 90s a little bit. We talked a lot of the, so like the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, the 90s, I guess, we start seeing kind of the consoles closing in on the arcades. But as you said, it's a moving target. And, and one example I can think of, you say there's many Genesis games that do a good job of uh, basically, copycatting the arcade quality, but then there's other cases where, like something like Daytona USA, which is absolutely phenomenal in the arcade, that absolutely busts on the Sega Saturn when it comes out. And so it's not it's not as cut and dry as you know when does the arcade die or when does when do the consoles catch up. It seems like there's kind of a there's a lot of quality variance between certain games and certain consoles.
0: Although I will point out um, that Daytona USA was a big disappointment when it came out versus in the 80s you know if the arcade version was quite superior to the home version that was just kind of expected by the time the saturn came out um you know people were becoming more demanding of their home games people were like right. look you promised us arcade quality and if you're not delivering, then we're gonna call you out on it. that that wasn't really a thing in the in the 80s.
1: But the arcade the arcade version of uh, Daytona is considered amazing. I mean by today's oh yeah 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 standard.
0: yeah, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. It's but little... yeah, people were expecting the Saturn version to be comparable and, and it wasn't. and it was disappointing. whereas when Double Dragon for the NES came out, Nobody was like, hey, this sucks compared to the arcade. Well, I guess maybe some people were, but that was kind of expected. People were like, look, you know, it's not going to be as good as the arcade. We accept that. We'll accept the game for what it is. When the uh, Saturn launched, people were not that, um, how can I say it? They were not that forgiving, which showed how people's expectations and people's perceptions of what a home game should be had changed uh, as a result of the 16-bit era.
1: Right, okay, and that's interesting, because actually Daytona USA is one of the few games I've actually played like, all the versions of, so I've played it in the arcade, I've played the original Daytona USA, which had like massive frame rate issues, and I've just recently gotten the Circuit Edition for my Sega Saturn, which has better frame rate, but suffers from control issues, so there's no perfect way to play that unless you're playing it on a more modern console, I believe like Xbox 360 did a really good port of mm. that game, finally, but um yeah so it's interesting so Toby like what are is there any like 90s uh, arcade experiences or games that you kind of look back on fondly or
2: um i mean just like kind of what i said like i for me i think like any of the arcade experiences that had like a lot of peripherals that were different from like the 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 console experience were games that i like really gravitated towards so like i mentioned like driving and shooting games like i think just because like the the experience of playing the game is a little bit different than what you can get at home with like a just a controller. Um, like I just like gravitated towards that, like holding like a laser gun or just like being able to drive. Like that's cool. Like that's that's kind of like what I gravitated towards as a kid mostly.
1: Yeah, I think that makes sense because you and I, you and I come from very similar roots where we're kind of like very much into platformers and JRPGs. Mm-hmm. And so I think the arcades were quite a bit different than the games we typically grew up with. But you are also you're a massive N sixty four guy, and I'm kind of PlayStation on this side. And I guess like as I get older, I'm kind of realizing how great the Saturn is. But so N sixty four didn't really have much arcade to speak of, you know, nothing really. I mean, NFL Blitz maybe. That's all I can really think of. Yeah,
2: yeah, not too much on that end, I guess. But
0: one thing I was gonna say though is that um, in the early '90s, uh, a genre that became really popular is the the four-player beat-em-up with, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, yeah. The the Simpsons, X-Men, you know, there are a lot of four-player co-op games that that became really popular. And at that time, you didn't see a lot of four-player games available for home consoles. And something that the N64 did very well is bring a four-player... cooperative or competitive experience to the the home console the games were different you know it was mario kart or golden eye or something like that but four people playing a game together uh wasn't that popular in the home market until the n64 in in my opinion yeah no
2: i completely agree with that and you know i totally forgot about those like four player co-op uh, fighting games like I, I Beat oh pops, yeah they man. were huge yeah. Oh, yeah no like I have so many I have a lot of memories like playing like the Simpsons like that was like a I think that that's like one of the classic arcade games like that's such a great fun awesome mm. game yeah I still I have um
0: uh, you know I still play it on uh emulator uh from time to time so uh yeah all those uh you know turtles in time and and uh, oh, turtles in X-Men. time is one of my favorites too I love turtles <laughs> yeah, in time yeah. yeah so yeah those Classic action. It's hard Oh yeah, to get old. No, those games are yeah. amazing.
1: And I'm actually... I'm going to sound like an idiot here, but was Streets of Rage an arcade game before I went to the Genesis? Or was that an uh, arcade-style uh, game on the Genesis?
0: I think it... Yeah, it was just an arcade-style game. It was Sega's answer to Double Dragon and Final Fight, basically. Uh, and they did an amazing job. I mean, uh, I still... Um, in fact, going back now, uh, I really... I really enjoy like the big sprites uh you know the um I think the gameplay really holds up uh I I have um well in here in Asia it's called bare Knuckle but I have bare Knuckle uh 2 on my um like the actual cartridge and yeah it 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 gets it gets its uh, fair share of play uh, even now I I still enjoy it and uh, of course Final Fight also gets a, a fair amount of play so that's all right
1: yeah, you know, I don't know. You guys both told me you love Streets of Rage, and I feel kind of left out because I didn't really play Streets of Rage growing up. I went from Double Dragon, and I, oddly enough, kind of played more Golden Axe than I played uh, Streets of Rage. So I feel like I missed out. Because Golden... I love Golden Axe, but Streets of Rage is like the cool kid game where Golden Axe is kind of like the nerdy like fantasy game.
0: Although I do like... Um... I like playing the dwarf in Golden Axe because you can like hit one of his moves is he actually takes like the handle of his axe and hits the guy on the head with it, you know, like bump, and then kicks him back. <laughs> that That's, uh, I don't know, I, I always enjoyed that. But uh, yeah, Golden Axe, I really, um, that's one of my favorite arcade memories actually going by, like, by my own 90s arcade uh, experiences. Uh, Golden Axe, I played that in the arcade uh, quite a bit. Before I ever saw it on the uh, on the Genesis, one thing I didn't like on the Genesis version, and I I've kind of learned to accept it now, but in the old in the voice samples are really scratchy, like when they die, you know they ah. <laughs> the, um, it it sounds more like static than voice. I, I don't know it, It's pretty I, awful. <laughs> yeah. 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 The <laughs> low. I think they were recorded at like two two hertz, or I don't know some kind of really low sampling rate. But uh, but it um, you know it's uh, it, it's still fun. You know, and uh, the the sequels I don't think ever came to the arcade. Golden Axe two and three. I think those were just for the Genesis. But those are fu- those are fun too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. These are
2: like deep memories for me, man. Like. Honestly like I like when I think about arcade games like it brings me back to just like the earliest days of my childhood like it's like playing Golden Axe like I only played it on the Genesis I think but man it's like it's like taking me back to being a little kid
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yep yeah when I when I think of uh, it's funny and it shows the generational gap but when I think of like uh, I don't know I think a game's like Burger Time or uh, the Smurfs on Atari, or BC's Quest for Tires on the C64, or uh, Raid Over Moscow on the C64. Those bring me back to uh, my childhood as well. But yeah, it's uh, it's funny. You hear sometimes you'll hear like a game title, or, and this works with movies or music as well. Like you'll hear something and you'll be like, "Oh my God, I forgot all about that game." Yeah, I remember. I remember somebody mentioned somebody mentioned Tron to me a while ago, and I. I have memories of playing Tron, the arcade game, uh, as a kid, and that I was like, "Oh my god, yeah, that game was awesome." Or the uh, the original Star Wars arcade games with the vector graphics. I, I played those as a kid; those were awesome too. So,
1: well, yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's really cool though to talk to people who are in different generations, especially <laughs> since I think our two generations are a little bit more alike than the generations who grew up with the internet. That kind of drastically yeah, yeah, affected sure. their style of gameplay. So I think that we, even though like we are different generations, we can still respect and appreciate, I'm not saying the younger generations can't, they absolutely can, but we still, we still really appreciate like the generation before us and kind of the effort it took to make these games and like how kind of simple or complex they, they were.
0: Yeah. 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 And, and you could we're, we're of the age where we saw technology evolve, you know, before our eyes and, and, you know newer and more exciting and better graphic games would keep coming out uh, you know uh, with each year in the arcades.
1: Yeah for sure and okay I mean let's kind of end this thing with the late 90s so we're, we're doing part one 20th century what does stuff like you know the PlayStation the Sega Saturn the Sega Dreamcast and some of the new arcade technologies coming out in the late 90s what does that mean for the arcades and for home consoles? Um. Well for, for
0: for my memories of the late 90s first of all you started to of course there was a big push to polygon graphics right um, that was a you know that was a new thing and um you saw games like tekken and uh you saw games like uh time crisis uh come out which which took full advantage of of polygon graphics. That was a big change. I think also um, people's perceptions of what a video game was uh, were changing. I mean, a lot of people, their very first console was a Sony PlayStation. And Sony, up until the PlayStation, most games, not all, because there were RPGs and stuff like that, but a lot of games aspired to be arcade games that was sort of the blueprint of what an ideal video game was and i think you started to see that shift with the success of the playstation and the nintendo 64 uh you know a game like super mario 64 doesn't really work in an arcade setting whereas you know a game like super mario world even though it wasn't an arcade game it was based very much on arcade sensibilities um so I think the the notion of a video game started to change. And so you started to see um, the market fragment a bit. There were people who loved arcade-style games, but then there were people who loved RPGs, and there are people who loved adventure games, and there are people who, um, you know, wanted more story and, and wanted to sit and play a game for hours, not minutes. So, uh, you know, the arcade market started to become more more of a a, a special a specialty type of thing
1: right yeah i guess that's a bit, that's another thing that kind of happens in the generational gap because i kind of saw arcade games around that time as kind of being short and not really like so much worth my money and time whereas i thought okay i can buy final fantasy 7 or i can buy daytona usa you know of course i'm gonna go final fantasy 7 it gives me more of a bang for my buck i mean despite my own interest in rpgs anyway but I think it's pretty interesting, yeah, because PlayStation... I mean, I had, a lot of, I had a lot of experiences that I thought were not very arcade on the Super Nintendo as well, but um, definitely PlayStation, I think, really exposed that with like the Sega Saturn and somewhat even the N64. But um, I guess my last question would be, and this is a console I've never owned, I often hear the Dreamcast being cited as the first console that could really match uh, arcade quality pretty much, like frame rates per second, graphically, everything.
0: Um, well, I, as I say, I think arcade machines are, uh, a moving target. I mean, you could argue, you could make a, 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 an argument that when the Sega Genesis came out, it was arcade quality or, 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 close enough. Ditto for the Super Nintendo when it came out. But, um, I think that, um, by the time the Dreamcast came out, graphics weren't, I mean, Everybody always wants better graphics, but that was not the key driving factor. Simply offering better graphics was not going to bring you back into the arcade. Um, like um, like we were mentioning before, you know, you had to offer something new. Whether it was Dance Dance Revolution with its you know uh, floor uh, floor based controller, or whether it was you know Time Crisis or Virtua Cop with the light guns. Or whether it was, you know, in Asia, you know, taiko no tatsujin became popular with the with the drums, or mm-hmm. guitar freaks and drum mania became popular. You know, uh, even nowadays, uh, you know, they have uh, uh, dancing video games, and they have video games that dispense trading cards, and they have they have to give you something to bring you back to the arcade machine. Graphics alone will not do it. The Dreamcast graphics. Dreamcast polygon graphics were good enough that you didn't have to go back to the arcade to get uh, a really good experience. You could play Virtua Fighter on the Dreamcast or Crazy Taxi, and it looked just as good as the Naomi-based arcade machines that Sega was putting out at the time, Uh, so they had to do something different.
1: So that's interesting. So I think it kind of, it still goes back to the originality of the arcades. You know, there's this idea, there's a freshness of ideas and the control scheme and the way games work. And I think that's really what makes the arcade successful. So it isn't just the graphics, it's what are you going to use for controllers? You can't just use a standard d pad or something for most games, you know, what innovations are these games going to have? What are they going to bring to the table? And so that's a challenge for arcades, though, because it's not always easy to come up with a new control scheme or new mechanism to make a whole game. The consoles kind of have an advantage where they can kind of just make new games in different genres using the same exact controller.
0: Yeah, and um, yeah, uh, for me, like if I go, if I were go to go to an arcade, like if I were to go to Tony's at uh, down in Sheman down there, uh, my go-to games are usually uh, Mario Kart. Sorry, Mario Kart RKGP, uh, or one of its sequels. I mean, you know, playing with a force feedback steering wheel and a gas pedal, uh, really, even though the graphics are actually worse than the Nintendo Switch version, in my opinion, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it's still fun to play with, uh, with real controls. And, uh, yeah, Time Crisis. If I, if they have a Time Crisis game there, I'll be all over that. Or, uh, Taiko no Tatsujin. I mean, I have, uh, the Wii version with like my own plastic drum, but the the drums at the arcade are a lot better quality and real wooden sticks. You know, it it's 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 just not the same with the little plastic sticks sticks that Namco uh, sells. You know, so um, yeah, it, it. I think that nowadays the 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 problem with arcade machines, or not? I don't know if it's problem. It's just the way they've evolved is they've become more like gambling than just playing a game. Uh, I noticed the most popular machines nowadays are those crane games in Japan. They're called UFO Catcher. You know, you see them in Taipei and all over the place, you know, where you put in money and try to get a toy. And that's the whole game. You just put in a quarter, or sorry, put in a token or a a 10NT coin or however much you want to put in there. And... uh, You know, the crane comes down. If you get the toy, great. If not, well, you just wasted your money. Or they have, um, (laughs) at the Care 4 down the street, I see kids lined up. They have um, a Pokemon game where you have to try to catch different Pokemon. And if you, the Pokemon you catch, you get a trading card of that Pokemon. It comes right out of the machine. And kids collect these cards and they try to get the rare cards, you know, which of course is hard to do. So you keep putting money in the machine, hoping to get a rare card. And uh, another game is, uh, I don't know, it's targeted at girls. I don't know what it's called, but it's, you get different outfits for your, um, you know, virtual figurine on the screen. You have this girl on the screen and you can try on different outfits and stuff and you try to get different outfits and then it'll print a card for that outfit comes out of the machine and then you can put those cards on the little sensor at the top and you can see your, your virtual model with, with the different fashion items that you have in your collection. And I see the kids at school, like where I teach, you know, they have binders full of these trading cards and to them, that's, that's what an arcade machine is. They, it's a, basically a glorified trading card dispenser because that's what makes money. You know, Pac-Man doesn't make money anymore. You got to go where the money is, right?
1: Yeah, and I think uh, we'll get more into that into the uh, arcade second episode when we get to the 21st century, but I've definitely noticed a big um, shift towards like, physical items you need to buy to even um, work with the arcade machine or play the arcade machine, all these card games, and you win something or you have to like really invest money into buying a physical item to use it. And so that seems to be a pretty modern trend. But as I said, we'll get more into that in our second episode. Toby, is there anything you'd like to throw in before we cut off here?
2: I mean, we've just we've been talking a lot about uh, arcade games um, from the '90s and into the 2000s, and I don't know. Like, I think um, like that was like a huge like transitionary period, and I think in that period, uh, arcade games really changed. And yeah, like what what we see now is just like utterly different from what we saw in our childhood. And it's just like really interesting to just reflect and to think about, um, you know, the course of the, you know, the history of arcades and our experiences with them. Um, And, yeah, I think I think it's really tracked to like generational differences. Like kids these days experience them totally different from how we did, you know, and they're so different from, you know, previous generations. And I just I don't know. I, I find all that that really interesting, the history between all the all these eras
1: it is yeah and like I said yeah it's pretty amazing I think even between any generation you're going to see a lot of uh, variance in how they experience a sort of media like a video game or movie movies or whatever but alright well Jonathan thanks for showing up on the episode we're really glad you uh, brought your knowledge to the table and it would not have been the same without you
2: yeah man it's it's yeah, it's yeah, really great hearing a uh, different perspective thanks for coming on dude
0: oh well thanks for having me on it was fun
1: yeah, it was fun. And maybe you can come back for the arcades part two when we decided to do that one. And yeah, that's it for today. So guys, um, hope you enjoyed uh, Pixel Meditations. And Jonathan, is there any way that the fans can maybe find a way to listen to you or connect with you or anything?
0: Uh, well, uh, you, can, you can search on YouTube for Taiwan John. That's Taiwan space J-O-N. Uh, there's no H in my John. So uh, just look on YouTube for Chaiwan John. I got a couple of chip tunes up there and uh, uh, an analog synth tune. It's it's not a big uh, YouTube channel or anything, so don't get your hopes up. But, uh, yeah, if you want to check it out, go ahead.
1: All right, awesome. Well, thanks, Jonathan. And uh, that's it for this episode, guys. Thanks for listening to Pixel Meditations Episode 11. We will be bringing Arcade Part 2. We're not exactly sure when. It may not be the next episode. But we will definitely be back to talk about the arcades in the 21st century. And guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget, if you like the episode, follow us on Twitter. That's at Pixel Meditation. No S, At Pixel Meditation. And sometime in October, we're going to be doing a free game giveaway on the episode. So keep tuning in, listen to the episodes. You get a chance to win a free game. And we haven't really had it, we don't really have it running yet, but our Facebook, you can find us at the Pixel Meditations page, the Pixel Meditations. So guys, thanks for listening. See you guys next time.